4for4.com is the most accurate podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. As always, joined by my guy, John Paulson, who, uh, who, who joins me via his home in California. The new, ho- the new roof home in California. Yes, I got the bill and I'm not uh, happy about it, but that's the way it goes. Uh, new roofs aren't cheap, especially in California. Uh, doing good. How are you doing today? Uh, my AC broke a couple of days ago, so I, I'm about to get a, a big bill as well. So, you know what? Let's offer a lot of good fantasy advice so we can pay for some of this stuff. What do you Sounds think? Sounds good. Got? All right. Tell us about the music that brought us in. Yeah, this is Houndmouth, uh, a track uh, by Houndmouth called Las Vegas. It's off of, uh, it looks like it's a single McKenzie uh, EP that just was released uh, this year. Uh, check it out. I'll put it on the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, uh, which you can find the link for in the show notes. All right. We've partnered with Underdog Fantasy to offer free 4 for 4 Pro subscriptions, which is a $59 value just for depositing $10 at Underdog as a new user. Not only that, but Underdog will give you a bonus $10 once you deposit. And our partners at FFPC will give you a $35 credit for one of their leagues if you are a new FFPC user. If you're a returning FFPC user, great. You're not going to miss out. You're going to get a $10 credit as well. It's important to use the code 444, that's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4, that's all in caps, to claim that free subscription. You can go to bit.ly backslash 444deal, and that 444deal is all in caps. You can also check out John's Twitter page, at 444 underscore John, if you want to check out the details, because he got a pinned tweet right there. Make sure you take advantage of it, because we've never had a deal like this. It's incredible. We've also partnered with PrizePix to offer a free DFS or betting subscription just for depositing $20 to $35 as a new user at PrizePix. So if you'd rather get a DFS or a betting subscription, you you can take advantage of that. Um, you know, If you can't take advantage of the underdog offer, great. This deal might be for you. Just go to bit.ly backslash PrizePix, and PrizePix is in all caps, and you can check out all the details there. DFS subscription usually costs $99. Betting subscription is about $179. So this is another great way to get a subscription at a huge discount. You also get that $35 coupon at FFPC if you're a new user. All right, John, diving now into the injury aspect of our podcast. Earlier this week, the big question was, how much should fantasy managers bid on Elijah Mitchell? He took over as the lead back after Raheem Mozart went down in week one against the Lions. Trey Sermon was a surprise inactive, which really caught the fantasy community off guard for as far as I could tell. I saw that you asked 49ers beat writer Matt Barrows about the running back rotation in Wednesday's practice. This is what he said. Seemed to be Mitchell, Hasty, Sermon. But I promise you, it was Mostert, Sermon, Mitchell heading into week one. So who knows how that works, end quote. Mitchell isn't available for pickup in most leagues at this point, but it brings up a larger question about fab and budget. Should you spend should you spend that early in the year on a good prospect, John, or save it for later in the season based on how you don't know who's going to be injured later in the year? Yeah, I tend to spend early. I went into a, a big spiel in the waiver wire watch. I added um, a pretty good write-up, a pretty good-sized write-up 
uh, to the waiver wire watch to discuss the specific situation because I was planning to spend 80, 90% uh, on Mitchell in those leagues where I needed a running back. And that was, you know, every, I think in most of my leagues, I needed some running back help. Um, so I tend to spend my fab early. Uh, I'd rather try to identify a good prospect at the start of the season. Uh, last year, it was a player like James Robinson. Uh, you try to identify that player who is sort of a surprise bell cow or a, at least a surprise RB1, RB2 type or wide receiver one, wide receiver two type. Uh, spend that money and then you're, for the rest of the season, you don't have much to bid, um, but you can still make do. And if you plan ahead, you can still uh, do a good job with your waivers. But I think like I got a lot of questions about how much should I bid? Well, I... It, that's a very complicated answer. I mean, I play in pretty competitive main event leagues, uh, industry leagues, uh, Scott Fishbowl, uh, these types of things. So people tend to be very aggressive with their fab if they need a player or want a player. Um, so if it's somebody like Elijah Mitchell, I think the average price in Scott Fishbowl uh, winning bid was 87%. Uh, I think it was close to that in main event. I think it was in the 80s. Uh, so in both of my main event leagues, we spent like nine nine 912, so 91% of our fab on, on Mitchell. In both leagues, we could use some running back help. Now, the reason I do this is because you just don't know what's going to be on the waiver wire later in the season. Usually the running back position is pretty picked over. Uh, the high upside guys like, you know, Tony Pollard or, you know, Alexander Madison or Sheva Hubbard tend to be, uh, you know, injury plays tend to be rostered already. Uh, and if all of a sudden there's an injury and one of those guys is available in the waiver wire, then there'll be a, you know, a feeding frenzy, chum in the water, as they say. Um, but typically those, those players are being rostered. So they're just not available when there is an injury. You go look on the waiver wire for somebody like that and they're just not available. Uh, depends on league size a little bit and your roster size as well. So, how competitive is your league? Um, if half the owners aren't paying attention, the other half don't spend their fab aggressively, then you don't have to bid that much. You know, look at your history of your league and what's the highest bids that you know people have placed on players. Uh, who do you have to cut? If you have to cut a good player to get a little bit of a better player, then your bid shouldn't be as high because the uh, it's an incremental increase or incremental improvement in your roster, so you shouldn't be bidding a lot to, to make that incremental difference. If you're, you're cutting an injured player or somebody that you just don't want anymore, they stink, then you might want to bid more because you are making that improvement to your roster. And, and getting into the middle of the late season, that not having fab, it's not a death sentence for savvy owners who are paying attention to what's going on. If you're looking at playing time trends, uh, routes run, uh, snap counts, you can see which receivers are you know trending up in terms of usage. You might look at air yards, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, which show intent. Uh, and be able to pick up guys that are seeing uh, more usage before they break out and actually score a lot of fantasy points. It's easier said than done, but you can, if you do a little bit of research, you can do it. And you're, you're picking those players up uh, maybe a week or two ahead of time. Maybe somebody like uh, a Pollard or a Madison or, you know, one of these injury uh, running back, injury play running backs might hit the waiver wire and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, pick them up for a week and see if uh, anything happens to, to Zeke or Cook. Uh, 
so you don't you you're constantly churning the bottom couple of spots in your roster uh, looking for lottery tickets um, and you're getting guys maybe that you know for, for for free that might go for 15 or 20 or more the following week so that's sort of how I impro- uh, approach the fab I don't like carrying it past the first two or three weeks if there's a if there's a player that looks like he might be a, a fantasy starter I go big on it because uh, you know in this case uh, Mitchell looks like a you know a clone of Mostert and you're able to add like a sixth round draft pick to your to your team I think that's worth a lot of fab let's talk, let's talk now about the the specific situation in San Francisco with the running backs you you gave a great overview on how <clears throat> on how fab uh, how fab managers are going to kind of work work through pickups and things like that. But let's really focus on San Francisco now. Mitchell seems to be ahead of Hasty and Sermon at this point, but he's known for switching things up at, at the drop of a hat. He being uh, Kyle Shanahan. So how do you think this all plays out in, in San Francisco? Yeah, it sounds like Sermon will be active this week, according to the uh, offensive coordinator there. Uh, he apparently ran with more effort uh, and showed a fire in practice. So it's, it's a possibility that this was a motivational tactic by Kyle Shanahan. He's doing something similar with Brandon Ayuk, where Ayuk is not seeing uh, starter snaps. He's basically splitting time with Trent Sherfield uh, in that offense, and it seems like Shanahan is is you know using playing time as a uh, as a ploy in order to get more effort out of him. So it. It's certainly possible, especially if Matt Barrow is, is correct about Sermon being the number two behind Mostert heading into week one. It's certainly possible that uh, Sermon has a big role this week. I don't know that he'll start. I think Mitchell will probably start given the fact that he went over 100 yards, broke a long touchdown against the Lions. Uh, so we could definitely find ourselves in a committee with, with Mitchell and Sermon. Uh, it might be similar to that. Uh, Mostert, uh, Jeff Wilson committee that we had last year. And in that, in that um, scenario, Jeff Wilson was seeing about eight or nine carries per game and a half a catch per game in the six games that he played with Mostert. So, you know, Sermon has the much higher draft capital, uh, but I don't think that Kyle Shanahan really cares about that. He wants players that fit in within his system. And Mitchell just looks like a Mostert and has that 4-4 speed that Sermon just doesn't have. Sermon's more of a 4-6 guy, bigger. Uh, so he, they may end up in a committee, but you know Mitchell being the, the home run hitter and maybe the more productive guy, but we might that might flip as well. But I don't, you know, from a fab standpoint, a free agency standpoint, I don't care. I want, I want to place the bet on the uh, running back situation. It's so productive there in San Francisco, you know, and getting into all this, everybody's response is Shanahan and Shanahanigans, but when I looked at how he has treated Mostert since he ascended to the RB1 role early in December of 2019, Mostert has seen double-digit carries in 12 of 13 games where he was healthy enough to play the following week. So there are, are a number of games where he went out early or a couple of games where he went out early with an injury, didn't play the following week, and maybe saw low touches in that game where he got injured. But in the games, in 12 of 13 games where he was didn't get injured and was healthy enough to play the following week, he saw... Uh, double-digit carries, and that includes the last five games of the 2019 regular season, the Super Bowl run, and the five fully healthy games of the 2020 season. In those 13 games, he averaged 15 and a half touches, 1.6 catches for 95 or 94 total yards, and 1.08 touchdowns per game. Those are like mid-range RB1 numbers. Those that's what James Robinson, David Montgomery, and Jonathan Taylor scored last year as top seven fantasy backs. So that's how that's the upside here. 
for Mitchell uh, and for Sh Sermon for that matter if one of these two players gets uh, 15, 16 carries or 15, 16 touches in this offense. But my point is, is that once Shanahan picked Mostert as his RB1, he stuck with him as long as he was healthy. It wasn't like every week he was picking another running back in order to make him productive. It was Mostert when healthy, and then all this other stuff happened when Mostert was either dinged up or out of the out of the uh, game altogether, you know, sidelined or inactive. Then it was a giant circus trying to figure out who was going to be the the RB one in any particular game. So, long story short, it looks like Mitchell is ahead of Sermon right now, and that might be um, a mirage, but it's something that if it's true and Mitchell is the RB1, and he is the mostard in this offense now, he's hugely valuable, and that's why I, I bid a lot on him. He passed his first test, 100 yards rushing, uh, 19 carries, touchdown. I watched all of his touches. He actually broke a few tackles. You know, for a slighter guy, that's good to see. He also made some guys miss in the hole. Um, so he just looks more like the mostert that we've seen over the last couple of seasons. Sermon is the bigger guy. And they may end up forming kind of a committee, but I think Sermon right now is second. But we'll see. This is this week will tell us a lot. Let's talk about Will Fuller. He's going to miss week two due to a personal issue, so we'll have to wait at least another week for his Dolphins debut. Joe Shad tweet Joe Shad tweeted out that Will Fuller will not practice today and will not play on Sunday due to a personal issue. Brian Flores says Flores declines to say if he believes Fuller will return to the team this season. Uh, sounds kind of ominous, John, right now. I mean, how, how does this impact the Miami passing game against the Bills and, and moving forward? Yeah, it's kind of a weird response for Flores. Like, you think that if, if Fuller, it was a one-week deal, that he would just say, yeah, we expect him back soon or something like that. But he just won't right. even respond to the question about, you know, Fuller returning to the team, which is strange. Uh, I think in the short term, this is good for Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker uh, might be good for Mike Gesicki if, if they start to use him in the slot more, but he didn't uh, get as much run uh, in week one, and that was with uh, Fuller out. So, you know, Gesicki's snaps and routes are not looking as stable as they were last year, which is a little uh, depressing in a way because he's such a good athlete and could be a, you know, a top uh, 10 type tight end if he were used as a you know prime as the primary receiver but it seems like they want to have more of a traditional tight end in that offense and with waddle there in the offense they're not using him in the slot as much um it's so it's good for waddle and parker uh, i think it's obviously a, a problem for for tua uh it's one less weapon fuller does tilt the field or fuller does uh tilt the field when he's in there he's highly effective when he's healthy and, and out there um but you know, so it's a, it's a small downgrade for two. He's still got enough weapons to, to get by. Um, it's a, kind of a tough matchup against the Bills, but um, I still think he's a you know a mid range QB two, low end QB two, uh, and you could probably start Wall, Waddle and, and Parker with some confidence. Um, Tredavious White there is the wild card, and, and how many snaps one of these guys? I think Waddle will be able to avoid him the most because he plays in the slot, and uh, Parker may end up on on uh, White, or White may end up on Parker, I should say, for most of the game. That could be a problem, but he doesn't really, hasn't really traveled too much. We'll see if they are able to avoid and get Parker matched up with other defensive backs there with Buffalo. 
All right, let's go through some of the injuries that are impacting fantasy managers in week two. You got Josh Jacobs dealing with toe and ankle injuries, did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. What, what's your advice for managers with Jacobs? Well, to see what he does today, I am not too alarmed by this since they played uh, Monday night and everything's kind of backed up a day. So this is kind of like not practicing on Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, Tuesday they don't practice usually. Uh, Wednesday, you know, being out on Wednesday and then coming back Thursday or Friday. If he gets in a limited practice, I think he'll be okay to play. Uh, he, I mean, this is not a great situation for Josh Jacobs heading into this season with Kenyon Drake added to the to the RB room. He's already got um, an ankle injury and uh, dealing with that turf toe. So um, if he's out by chance, you know, Kenyon Drake enters the high-end uh, RB3 discussion, but it is a tough matchup against the Steelers. You might see Jalen Richard get some run as well. Moving on to, to DeAndre Swift of the Lions. He's got a groin injury and Jamal Williams' chest, both limited in practice on Thursday. Pretty incredible usage of Hawkinson, Swift, and Williams. I don't know that I've ever seen a team whose running backs and tight ends dominated targets as much as the Lions did in week one. They just don't have a lot of receiver talent, and that's the main reason why, and their, their best players are at tight end and running back, so that bodes well for these guys, certainly in PPR formats, and they were able to score 33 points, uh, so you know both Swift and Williams were highly productive. Uh, the little, there's a little bit of a worry here with Swift. We wonder if he maybe you know, re-aggravated uh, re the groin injury that kept him out in the preseason. I think this Williams uh, chest injury is new, uh, but the fact they were both limited in practice on Thursday you know, indicate to me that unless they suffered the injury in practice, um, which I don't think was the case, then they should be okay. We'll see what they do today. All right, Odell Beckham, we know already that he's going to miss in week two. When do you expect that we'll see him back? Well, he was supposedly having a really good offseason, and it's surprising to me that he's not playing. So it's getting to be worrisome. Uh, so I think owners are a little bit in a tough spot because they don't know if they should hold uh, – He's enough of a talent that you probably want to. If you have an IR spot, then he's a no-brainer for that as long as he qualifies. Uh, but, you know, you're sitting there with Beckham on your roster and maybe there's some players that you would like to pick up. It gets to be pretty tough. It's the same situation with Curtis Samuel, although at least we know that when he's coming off of IR. Uh, as far as, like, who might benefit from his absence, again, Donald, Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, ran the second most routes, 27, after Jarvis Landry, but it was Anthony Schwartz that actually saw the the usage that we sort of thought that uh, Peoples-Jones would get. Uh, Schwartz was way up there in air yards for week one. Uh, he's a speedster, uh, and... Uh, he seems to be a favorite in terms of uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, wanting to go deep. So um, it's kind of a toss-up right now between those two and who might uh, produce more fantasy points this week. Marquise Brown did not practice Wednesday or Thursday, but did return to practice on Friday. Where's he in your rankings? Yeah, another situation where the Wednesday-Thursday thing after a Monday night football game is does not is not too worrisome. I don't know if he'll get a limited or a full practice in today, but it looks like he, you know, with the practice, coming back to practice on Friday, I think he's probably good to go for this week. And then Jonu Smith was added to the injury report Thursday with a hip injury. Is this a concern? Yeah, anytime there's a midweek injury uh, added, you know, it's, it's I consider that an injury downgrade, and you have to watch and see what they do on Friday. You know, if he's limited, it's still sort of iffy as to whether or not he can play. And if he's out today and did not practice on Friday – 
then it's very worrisome. If he were to be out, then I think Hunter Henry would start to enter the tight end one conversation because there's, you know, he, he'd pick up a lot of these targets that Smith was seeing in week one. All right, before we dive into the Thursday night football takeaways and, of course, some sneaky starts for John in week two, if you've done all the hard work on your fantasy fo- football roster this week, then take all that hard work and turn it into real cash with prize picks. Simply pick two or more players, decide if they're going to go over or under their stat projection, and you can win some money. Download the prize picks app today or visit prizepicks.com. And if you deposit this week with promo code 4 for 4, this is the number 4. FOR number four, you're going to get $100 in an instant deposit bonus match dollar for dollar. Price picks is hands down the most fun, fast, and easy way to play daily fantasy sports. Pricepicks.com play today. And I was, I was looking at some of the projections, John, for um, Russell Wilson, who I think is going to have a big game against a really bad Tennessee defense. Uh, I like I like some of the the projections of him going over his passing total, over his over his touchdown total. So you, you can again, if you if you've done all the hard work throughout the week in fantasy football and your roster and your pickups on it, might as well turn it into real cash for prize picks. They're they're great. All right, John, let's uh, let's dive into the Thursday night football game. It wound up being really entertaining. Um, it, it was basically two bad teams trying not to win. Uh, in my in my opinion, I mean Washington. I thought Washington, and I won't go on a tangent, but I thought Washington did absolutely everything possible to ruin that last that last drive that they had, and they still were gifted a victory because you know Dexter Lawrence lined up offsides uh, to give to give Hopkins another opportunity to field goal. But like John, I'm so sick of watching these teams just get to the edge of the kicker's you know range, and then oh we're good. You realize that that's the edge, right? Like we're we're gonna get to the, you know the the we're gonna make this a fifty-six yard kick because Hopkins one time did a fifty-six yarder. That's the edge. No, you're trying to get yards, not first downs, you know. But anyways, Washington comes away with a thirty twenty-nine victory. So let's 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 stick with Washington here because they're they're kind of interesting, especially if you're you're hurting for injuries and you're looking at teams, you know, that guys that might be on the waiver wire. Let's start off with uh, Taylor Heineke, 34-46, 336 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He he did play well outside of the interception late. Antonio Gibson, 13 carries, 69 yards, no touchdowns. He didn't have anything in the pass. Actually, I'm sorry, he had two catches for four, four yards in the passing game. Not a great night for him. J.D. McKissick, he had four carries for 10 yards, but he scored a touchdown. He also had five catches for 83 yards on six targets, so pretty nice night out of the backup running back, J.D. McKissick. And then you've got Terry McLaurin, big night, 11 catches, 170 yards, and a touchdown. Logan Thomas, five catches for 45 yards. The other touchdown was caught by Ricky Seals-Jones. Nice nice play by him. That was his only catch. Went for 19 yards and, again, a touchdown. Adam Humphrey, seven catches, 44 yards. That kind of that kind of sums up what Washington did last night. Yeah, and I'm wondering, uh, maybe you remember, I didn't watch the entire game, but the, it looks like, Oh, it looks like that McKissick cut touchdown came in the final seconds of the second quarter. Yeah, so that right explains why. Yeah, that explains why Gibson didn't get that goal line touch. He was probably in as the clock was running or uh, whatever. So they tried to get the playoff quickly, and um, he scored. So yeah, to, just to get back to, uh, it's nice to see uh, Heineke uh, play well. We're not going to see much of a drop off from Ryan Fitzpatrick, hopefully. Uh, for those uh, Terry McLaurin uh, managers out there, um, Logan Thomas and Adam Humphreys were 
I guess it's flipped. Adam Humphreys was second in targets with eight. Logan Thomas had seven. McLaurin had 14, of course. Uh, McKissick and Diami Brown both had six, so pretty good usage for both of those players. And you'd like to see Gibson uh, higher with his targets, but, um, you know, overall, you know, 15 touches, you'd like to see a little bit more usage for him. Uh, you know, with, with 30 points, I think it's like to see some more fantasy production out of some other players other than uh, McLaurin because I don't think too many people started McKissick this week. For managers that have, and I think you've, you've kind of touched upon this, but I really want to drive this this home. For managers that do have Antonio Gibson rostered, should they be alarmed by J.D. McKissick's usage? I mean, I think in a way, yes, but the way that this game played out is not shocking that McKissick was in on these two-minute drills. It's it's unfortunate uh for, for Gibson, uh, people that have Gibson rodster, that he wasn't, for him to make that next step and be a top five type back, he needs to have those snaps. And he's not seeing them uh, right now. So most of these running backs in this range, you know, there's a couple guys that are playing all the time or, you know, there's maybe four or five handful that are playing in all these situations. But most people are, most of these running backs are seeding some time to different backs in their offense. So there's no reason to panic. Uh, just Gibson is not going to give you that really high floor every single week that you'd like to see um, with McKissick there. I mean, McKissick scored 13 points in PPR in uh, just the receiving game and then vultured a, a, you know, a late second quarter touchdown for another seven points there. So he gives him 20 and Gibson only gets you with eight or nine. So it's, it's it can be a little frustrating, but that's just the way it's going to work out with this Washington football team. Any other thoughts on Taylor Heineke and his, his performance from a fantasy standpoint? I mean, I think heading into this, I think anybody that had McLaurin rostered or Logan Thomas rostered was a little bit, uh, had a little tre- trepidation, wondering if this offense was going to be productive, especially in a tough matchup against a pretty good Giants defense, and for him to put up 336 passing yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, and a couple touchdowns, I think that's really encouraging. And if, if you're in a super flex league, Heineke's certainly interesting as a, a, as a pickup. I know people have been picking him up in Scott Fishbowl. Uh, makes a lot of sense. There's a big premium on quarterbacks in, in uh, super, especially big rostered super flex leagues. Um, but you know, Heineke can also run a little bit. He didn't. He he ran four times for only six yards, but he has had some pr- productive games rushing so far in the NFL, including the preseason and his, his spot uh, play for for Washington. All right, let's dive into the Giants statistics now. Daniel Jones, 22 of 32, 249 yards and a touchdown. He also carried the ball nine times for 95 yards and a touchdown. He got the Giants on the board early. So you're getting a lot of rushing yards out of Daniel Jones if you if you wound up taking him last. I think that a lot of people focused on Saquon Barkley. 13 carries, 57 yards, so not a, not a, a huge night. He did catch, catch two passes for 12 yards, but at least he looked a lot more spry, in my opinion, John, than he did last week. Devontae Booker had two carries for nine yards. Going to the receivers, Sterling Shepard had the biggest night, nine catches, 94 yards. Darius Slayton had three catches for 55, 54 yards and a touchdown. Kenny Galladay, and it was a frustrating night. You saw it with Galladay and Jones. Uh, Galladay only had three catches, 38 yards. And then Kyle Rudolph, the tight end, two catches for 25 yards. As we look at the Giants, uh, Saquon Barkley played 84% of the snaps after playing less than that than, than uh, half the snaps in Week 1. He had 15 touches after just, ele- uh, after just 11 in Week 1. So again, uh, a much better night out of Saquon Barkley. Yeah, it wasn't highly productive, but he saw more playing time, which I think is what you want to see at this point if you have Barkley rostered. Uh, 
jumping and you know jumping four touches. Again, though, like like Gibson, the Giants scored twenty nine points, and Barkley, you know, sixty yards, fifty seven yards rushing, twelve yards receiving, only three targets, doesn't score a touchdown. I mean, that's got to be a little frustrating because how many games are the Giants going to have? You know, twenty nine, twenty eight plus points. Uh, so a little bit frustrating, I think, from that standpoint. You wonder about the offensive line. He had the one, which we knew coming in was going to be one of the worst in the league, but he had the 141-yard run. Otherwise, he had 16 yards on 12 carries. Um, and I'm not like doing any sort of like victory lap because there is a certainly a path for, for Barkley to... And it's good to see the injury doesn't seem to be as much of a concern right now as just... Uh, the offensive line and just overall production for him. Uh, you could easily see him start to get those 18 to 20 touches uh, per game next week or the following week. I think he has Atlanta next week, so it could be a breakout Ooh. week for him. Although they were good against the run last year, I don't know how good they are against the run this year. They suck overall, um, John. Yeah, so that could be a breakout game for Barkley. Uh, I This was just why I was sort of fading him in drafts is just I just avoiding him as a first round pick because of the offensive line, the overall offense for the Giants. I guess if you have Barkley, you could look at this and say, well, they scored 29 points and he didn't score. You know, maybe this is a better offense and Daniel Jones played pretty well. Maybe this is a better offense than we're expecting. Uh, Maybe the defense isn't as good and they're going to have to open things up and throw him the ball a lot and, you know, all that. And so uh, I guess you could tell yourself a story either way. Uh, I think it's way too early to take any victory laps. Let's talk about air yards, John. Why are they important, and who are who are some of the surprising names in the top 10 uh, or 20 in week one? Yeah, we have an air yards app. I believe it's free. If you just go to Tool, free for non-subscribers as well, so if you're not a subscriber, if you just go to Tools and then look over to the Research uh, tab, there's an air yards app, and it's updated every week, I think on Wednesday, and you can look at the average air yards uh, column. You can sort by week. You can sort by team. You, you filter by team and week and position, uh, minimum targets, etc. So why are they important? Uh, air yards, and this is something that Josh Hermsmeyer, who used to work for us at 4 for 4, he's has his own air yards uh, website. Um, and I think now he's with Establish the Run, but he uh, was the first that I remember really pushing air yards as uh, a metric that people should look at. I think there was average depth of target and uh, like air yards type things before that, but he really, I think, brought it and pushed it to the forefront. It's, it's all about opportunity and, you know, air yards might be completely empty. Like a Marquez Valdez Scantling came in fifth in air yards in week one so it shows you the intent of what the Packers were trying to do in these deep balls to him. Uh, he had 156 air yards, which was you know just behind Ceedee Lamb and just ahead of St- Stephon Diggs. Uh, he had seven. Tar- he did have that on seven targets. So his average depth of target was 22.3. He only scored 3.2 fantasy points. But what that shows you is that the Packers want to get him the ball downfield, which it did last year. He always was, you know, a big air yards guy, um, and he had some really big games because of it. Uh, but that just shows the intent of the Green Bay offense uh, in certain situations when they're trying to get him the ball. Uh, at seven, it was surprising to see Emmanuel Sanders there a little bit, uh, but he played so many snaps. He saw eight. I mean, they had so many plays run in that game. He had eight targets, 149 air yards in week one, so he's a player to – he had four four catches for 52 yards. He's definitely one to monitor and, and add if you can add him to the roster, maybe even start him this week. Um, Brandon Cooks was at nine. Uh 
not shocking given the other options in that offense, uh, but he saw seven targets and had a eight out of 18.9. Anthony Schwartz coming in at 11 was very interesting. Uh, again, another speed guy. Uh, looks like Baker Mayfield wants to get him the ball down the field. Um, and that might be a problem with for uh, like Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, just scanning that 20, uh, the surprise name, Quintez Cephas, seven targets, 102 uh, yards, uh, air yards. And uh, David Njoku coming in at 21, which is, he was the second highest tight end uh, in air yards in week one. And then, uh, you know, Henry Ruggs at 23, Brian Edwards at 24, uh, Sterling Shepard uh, at 25, all with you know, 94, 97, 99 air yards. So those players uh, didn't, necess- didn't necessarily, I mean, Edwards had a pretty good game. Sterling Shepard had a good game, but like Ruggs, uh, you know, 5.6 points. And what we're going to do with, with this air yards data and some routes run data is we have a uh, receiver breakout model that will be, deb- be debuting in week four that will look at players that have a high number of air yards that, and routes run that haven't had or haven't met their expected points threshold and highlight them in an article. Uh, I'm excited about that. So, so players, uh, uh, fantasy managers and DFS players can identify some players that might be flying under the radar that are about to break out. So uh, look for the receiver breakout model in week four. All right, let's get into some sneaky starts. We'll wrap up the podcast with this. Uh, week two, you got a couple of different quarterbacks that we wanted to highlight. One is is Teddy Covers, uh, better known as Teddy Bridgewater. But, John, every time he starts, he seems to cover the spread. Um, oh. Yeah, yes, it really is. His ATS numbers are incredible. Uh, but the other guy that we wanted to talk about, at least in the podcast, and I encourage everybody to go to 444.com to check out John's complete list. But Teddy Bridgewater's one name, Mac Jones another. Teddy Bridgewater and the – uh, Broncos have a seemingly good matchup against Jacksonville. And then, you know, Mac Jones and, and the Patriots seemingly have a good matchup with the Jets. I only say seemingly to give to give us a little bit of a caveat, John. A little bit of an out. Yeah, and it's early. It's so early. But if you look at what Houston did to Jacksonville, it, it seems like they're going to be in pretty good shape uh, as far as a matchup for, for the Broncos. They, he lost Jerry Judy, but they have uh, Tim Patrick to come off the bench, and they've got enough talent there. And the fact that he you know, threw for 264 yards and two touchdowns against the Giants uh, is fairly impressive, although uh, what Washington did last night takes a little bit of a shine off of that. But the Jaguars yielded 291 yards and two touchdowns to Tyrod Taylor. Uh, so this is a good setup for, for Bridgewater, who really hasn't been a big touchdown guy and doesn't, I think he last time he threw for two touchdowns was week 10 of last year. Uh, so he's off to a good start uh, there for, for Denver. And then uh, Mac Jones looked good against a, a good Dolphins defense, 281 yards and a touchdown in his debut. Uh, looked confident, and this week he faces the Jets. They just gave up 279 yards and a touchdown to Sam Darnold, so it's, a, it's shaping up to be a good matchup for Mac Jones as well. Moving into at least one running back that we wanted to discuss, how about Devin Singletary of the Bills against the Dolphins? Yeah, we, we talked about Elijah Mitchell a lot earlier, so you know he's a pretty good starter against Philly. Um but the next guy on the list is Devin Singletary. And I think some of this depends on whether or not Zach Moss is active for this game. If he's active, then that certainly throws Singletary's workload into uh, question. Uh, but when Singletary was the only back there, basically, I mean, Breda played a little bit, but uh, he had 14 touches, 80 total yards. He had 6.5 yards per carry, and it was a tough matchup against the Steelers and normally pretty good against the run. 
Um, the Dolphins gave up 100 yards and 23 carries to Damian Harris. So if Moss is an inactive, uh, Singletary would be a good start again. Sterling Shepard was a sneaky start, and he had nine catches. So great, great work with uh, Sterling Shepard last night, John. Who else do you think from a wide receiver stand- standpoint this week could be a sneaky start? Yeah, going down the list, I think we go back to that Jets game and Jacoby Myers and, and Nelson Aguilar uh, against that Jets defense looks pretty appealing. They both were targeted pretty heavily uh, by Mac Jones. I think Myers had nine targets and Aguilar seven, if I remember remembering correctly. Uh, the Jets gave up, as I mentioned, 279 yards and a touchdown to the Panthers. Uh, both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson had uh, fantasy usable games, so I think uh, uh, Myers and Aguilar are both startable in a pinch. Uh, Myers is a little more appealing to me in PPR formats because he seems to be more of a high-target guy and is likely to catch more passes. And the other guy we talked about was uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think this is a bounce-back opportunity for this entire offense, and I think he probably catches a deep touchdown uh, against the Lions. Two tight ends I wanted to ask you about from your article, Cole Komet and Adam Troutman. Troutman. Yeah, Komet uh, played a lot and saw the second-most targets. Uh, He tied with Darnell Mooney. Uh, catching five of them for 42 yards against a good Rams defense. He you know, ran a route on 74% of the team's dropbacks, which is a good sign. You want that You want that getting close to 80. Uh, but it looks like he's pretty much in every down, every every snap type tight end now. I mean, Jimmy Graham's still working in a little bit, but uh, Komet is looking pretty good there as a tight end, too, that's available on the waiver wire if you want to have some upside on your bench. You know, Justin Fields coming in maybe in the next couple of weeks. I think this passing game might take off a little bit, and Komet should benefit from that. Uh, Adam Troutman was overshadowed by Juwan Johnson. We had two touchdowns against the Packers in that uh, brutal, brutal game for the Packers. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. But Troutman's, yeah, Troutman saw six of the 20 targets in that offense, so a 30% target share for Troutman. So definitely uh, Jameis Winston was looking for both of his tight ends, but specifically uh, Troutman uh, with six targets, and which, you know, six targets isn't that impressive, but six of 20 is pretty impressive. Um, I think they're both startable, but I think long-term Troutman probably is a little more appeal given that uh, target share. Uh, but it does seem like Juwan Johnson is, is going to be a threat in the red zone specifically because uh, Winston uh, looked at him. Uh, at least twice there in that game. And I think until M- uh, Michael Thomas returns, the tight ends are going to be really involved in this offense. Beautiful. That'll do it for John Paulson and myself, Anthony Stalter. Wraps it up for another week. Don't forget to take advantage of that promo with Underdog and lock in your pro subscription at 444. The link, bit.ly backslash 444 deal. 444 deal is all in caps, since so the number four, F-O-R, number four deal. If you want a DFS or betting subscription, great, then hit bit.ly backslash prize picks. Prize picks is all in caps for all the details. Good luck in all things fantasy this week. We'll be back next time on 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. Like a, you down. By the look on your face, you was a little bit loaded.